Welcome back to The Wine Show. You're here with Jill Upton. And next up, we have Darren DeBortley from DeBortley Wines in, well, this specifically is Riverina, but we will be uh, covering a fair bit of Australia, I dare say. So good morning, Darren. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, good morning, Jill. So, Darren, I... I'd love to be part of this. Oh, I'm I'm so glad that you were able to able to make and I understand that you are a very busy man. You're running an enormously large uh, wine company, uh, definitely one of the um, most famous in Australia and, and potentially the world. Uh, you were managing director at 33. Look at you, you're such a high achiever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was very much thrust upon me, yeah, but I, I, my background is I, I started winemaking um, which arose with in South Australia studied uh, winemaking in the in the very late 70s, which was at the forefront of developments in the you know, the technical development of the wine industry. Because before that was basically doctors and and lawyers and that were leading the charge into cooler climate winemaking um, areas now, which are now sort of household names. But back in those days, it was uh, we were really talking about the legacy, largely the legacy of the wine industry, which is that was predominantly a an industry that produced fortified wine until until the 70s. You know, 73, 72, I think it was the um, was the first time we sold more table wine than fortified wine, which is truly remarkable when you think about it. So up to that stage, up to nearly 90% of wine sold was fortified. So a lot of these regions have developed um, with the with that in uh, with that sort of background. So you're, you are third generation, and we're, we're definitely going to be touching on all of these fortifieds and, of course, the very famous Noble One shortly, but you're the third generation. Can you tell us a little bit about the story of how de Bortley is? Uh, they migrated to Australia, how they first set up, and um, and I guess as to, as to when you started to take over, because it's such a great story. No, it is a great story. Now, all my grandparents, I'm actually a product of Italy because all my grandparents came from came from Italy and literally the uh, foothills of Mount Grappa, you know, the famous uh, spirit, Mount Grappa. So in the in the foothills of Mount Grappa, my grandparents uh, basically came out, my Victoria de Bordley came out in 24, 1924. And the interesting thing about 1924, which I wasn't aware of, it's you know, the family folklore was we could have ended up in Argentina, um, America, or, or Australia, and happened to be Australia. But America at that stage in 1924 had stopped all immigration from Italy to to the US because uh, Italians had started to exceed the threshold of two percent of the uh, of the of the uh, population being of Italian descent. Um, so you could have easily ended up if it wasn't you now that year particularly was very important because could have easily ended up being a um, American citizen. Wow, that that would that would have changed the course of your history demonstrably. Well, yeah, well, who knows? But my grandfather was very um, uh, innovative. So in 24, 28, he had a mixed farm. He couldn't sell the grapes. Uh, decided to make his own wine. Remembering the background at that stage with predominantly fortified wine, and he was making table wine. And uh, a lot of the um, you know, a lot of the early customers in the very early days were were fellow immigrants that come out and were you know now cutting cane up in northern Queensland or, or growing veggies around the place. So uh, his earlier clientele were very much um, Europeans that wanted wanted uh, table wine, not fortified wine, which was really the legacy of the British Empire. And, um, yeah, so 2018, uh, the, the company kicked off. He couldn't sell his grapes, decided to make his own wine. 
and slowly from that those humble beginnings, the company slowly evolved. And uh, it was a bit sort of naughty during the, the Second World War um, when he was uh, he was busted for bootlegging, which was a bit, <laughs> <laughs> which I sort of I, I like talking the story because it's a you know there's a lot of other very well known Australian family wine companies that were very very much involved in that period of Australia, uh, the Australian history that sort of. Uh, don't talk about it, but when they say that my, you know, their grandfather knew, my grandfather knew exactly what it meant. You know, normally that meant in some cases they weren't even, you know, they weren't even winemakers. They were actually yes, selling the wine that my grandfather was producing. And uh, so I always laugh and I say, well, if it wasn't for my grandfather, you wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be where you are at the moment. You know, it's um, it's it's always very inspiring when you hear the stories of someone who migrates to another country. They basically have nothing to their name. They start off in something, well, some form of your know, agriculture, and they choose viticulture. And before long, you know, you've you've bought up vineyards in in the best regions around Australia. I mean, you've got you've got you've got the Yarra Valley. You're in the Hunter Valley. Uh, you're you're Rutherglen, King Valley. Like these are. These are some of the most prominent wine regions in Australia, and 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 you know, arguably, uh, some of the world. So, um, how is it that it must have had an amazing business mind? I mean, that's that's what was uh, must have been leadings, and I'm sure a fantastic wife. Yeah, no, well, certainly Victoria de Bortley, you know, so re- re- remembering that stage, it was the development in the 60s and 70s and and 80s was very much driven by my um, father when he was. Um, uh, when he's alive, he passed away about you know, sort of 18 years ago now, roughly. And um, so he really took it to the next step. And uh, he was very much involved with the uh, move into the Yarra Valley. And you know, so at that stage, I was a young winemaker straight out of Rosewood. And I knew the future were in these these um, areas such as the Yarra Valley. And uh, and I threw it, actually threw a bit of a tantrum. I said, well, if you're not going to, if we don't invest in the Yarra Valley, I'm I'm packing my bags and going. And uh, yeah. fortunately, my, both my father and and mothers, or you know, at least I uh, went and have a, had to have a look at the Yarra Valley, and at that stage it was very, very early days, and um, they could see the potential that um, I was talking about, and and that was the beginning of a Yarra Valley, you know, sort of expansion. That was in '86 when we bought the uh, uh, Graham Miller uh, Ch- uh, Chateau Yuringa um, vineyard, and uh, it's from those early days we you know, dramatically increased the vineyard holdings. We're Got by far the largest vineyard holding in the Yarra Valley at the moment. It was very tough going the last few years because with the introduction with the spread of phylloxera in the Yarra mm-hmm. Valley, it's decimated yields. And so we've had to undergo a very, very expensive planting program mm-hmm. to uh, swing all our, um, our, all our grape vines over onto American rootstock to be able to handle the phylloxera because certainly it was devastating the vinifera um, vines which were on their own roots. So can you just um, quickly expand on that as to why the American roots, they they have some form of immunity to phylloxera? Well, phylloxera actually was an American um, pest that was mm. uh, introduced somehow into, uh, into, into Europe and from Europe into the rest of the world through, imagine, mainly through their cutting. So um, it devastated the French wine industry in the late 19th century. Um, whereas in America, the 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 American species of of, of um, vines had grown up with it, and they were able to be you now they were able to live in conjunction with the phylloxera without any substantial reductions in yield. Whereas with the uh, you know the classic fittest vinifera varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon, Shiraz, Chardonnay, they were just devastated. It just mm. just killed, it slowly killed the vines as the as this little um, 
uh, bug fed on the basically feeds on the root system. So you need so a quickly getting growing root system, um, and with some level of uh, resilience to be able to handle phylloxera. And it's the feeding on. So what you'll see during these very dry years, you'll see the phylloxera. Um, problems with phylloxera becoming very prevalent. Um, this year, they're, they're going to be drowned out by the looks of things because uh, mm. they can't swim too well. But yeah, no, it's it's about in the drought years. That's always when you want to see, truly see if you had phylloxera or not, because that's when it manifests itself with vines um, looking very weak in the vineyard. Sure. So, uh, do you see much phylloxera in the Riverina area? Um, well, it's it, it, it's a source of much discussion. You know, some people believe it would have been exposed to uh, brought to the Riverina um, because back very much in the early days, it's funny we moved in, into the Rutherland region you know, a few years ago, but there was always a very close relationship between the Riverina and uh, and Rutherland. So, you know, Morris's had a winery in the early days, um, also up in, um, in in Griffith, which then became Orlando's Wickenville Winery, which which they cleared, sold a number of years uh, a number of years ago. So, you know, the, the argument was it introduced into was it introduced into Riverina. Uh, question mark, why wouldn't it survive? Probably the higher heat conditions and at that stage, widespread flood irrigation um, probably helped uh, prevent it. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but, you know, I think I, I suppose the prevailing wisdom is it's, you know, it's, it, um, you know, it hasn't been in the area. There's no, been no sign of it, but, you know, you just wonder if it was exposed and just conditions were not favourable for uh, for the phylloxera in, in, the, in the region. Sure. I mean, it could yeah, it could be so many uh, so many different uh, factors, couldn't it? But as you say, I guess with this year, with the amount of rain that we're getting, phylloxera will will drown out a bit. So there are always some benefits to having a little bit too much rain. Um, look, let's uh, let's move on to the famous noble one because that's that's what I, you know. It's it is such a famous uh, famous wine worldwide, and you created it back in 1982. Uh, how did it? How did this idea originate in your mind? Well, 82 was basically the first year back from uh, studying winemaking at Roseworthy. And at that stage, Roseworthy were doing really some pioneering work with uh, artificial uh, infection of grapes using temperature and uh, humidity controlled rooms. So, you know, I wanted to play around with them when I came home. And uh, my father uh, said, yeah, well, we get, we get phylloxera, nat- uh, we get, sorry, uh, Botrytis and area of Noble Rock naturally. Which I found very um, interesting, and uh, he proceeded to pull out a bottle of 1958 McWilliams Pedro Ziminex, which was probably the first that I'm aware of, the most, the earliest acknowledgement of the role of Noble Rock Petrodesineria on grapes. And Pedro Ziminex is a very thin-skinned variety and is very um, susceptible to Noble Rock infection, being so thin-skinned, as opposed to Cabernet Sauvignon, which has a very thick skin, which is a lot more resistant. Hence, part of the reason why it would have been grown in in Bordeaux, which is a high humidity. So, you know, when I mentioned that, and he said, "Oh, it happens early. It happens naturally." And uh, he showed me the bottle of '58, and then um, I started. We started looking at just experimenting, and one of the things that we found, which is a lot of these issues are mindset issues, really are. It's amazing. So, well, just to leave the grapes hanging, you know, beyond their normal peak date, which was, you know, usually around sort of uh, mid-February, uh, going through into um, March, April. And what we found is by letting the grapes hang longer, we got into the ideal conditions for the uh, noble rot infection. Now, it's a fungus. So, I always say that if you see mushrooms popping up in your backyard, uh, you are seeing the ideal conditions for, for noble rot, you know, 
the Trotocinaria, which which basically grows on the skins, and as it's growing, it sucks the moisture out, and it also it's changing the chemicals within the grape as well, and you get some weird and wild thing, things happening, like uh, glucose is converted to gluconic acid. You get these are wonderful flavors being developed. You know, these release of uh, you know you can almost get sort of in the early, um, in the early stages of the ferment, you almost get these mushroom flavors you know, coming from the you know from the from the ferment in very early stages and then evolves and it really sort of evolves from that into these quite exquisite and complex wines. But I, I guess that you wouldn't actually, you know, food pair them with mushrooms, would you? No, but it's, you know, it's it always, it, it, it really is quite finax. Under the microscope, they look like little mushrooms. You see yeah. this grey hair growing on the uh, on the grapes. And when you go look in the microscope, they, they're like, you know, millions of tiny uh, mushrooms growing off the top of the um, grape skin. But you know, normally, uh, but normally, it, 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 it you know, the conditions are not favourable. And certainly, the early winemaking books I was looking at, you know, the, you know, they said that botrytis and nobarot could not occur in Australia because it's far too dry. Well, the crazy thing is, you know, the, the prevalence of it is far greater than than uh, the industry ever realised. And uh, we're just so fortunate that the conditions in Riverina for making a world class sweet wine using using this fungus was uh, were ideal. Well, talk about world class. I think um, Noble One, my little bit of uh, research has been, it's actually one of the most awarded wines in history. Yeah, oh, well, it's, it's been amazing. And even 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 the, uh, we do make a lighter style, which we're named after my father, uh, the, uh, Dean DeBortley, and and uh, it's a lot lighter style. So if it's not Noble One winning the awards, it's inevitably the, uh, now uh, the the lighter version of Noble One, which is um, you know, probably more maybe more classical in style, but what I like about Noble One, it is truly a unique wine style in the world. And when people look at Noble One, they know it's Noble One. They know who the producer is. They know it's a it's a world class uh, sweet wine. Um, whereas the more traditional sweet, you know, the the Dean tends to be being a lot lighter. It tends to be more in that Barsac Turns type mould in France. Um, yeah, so it's been really, you know, and it's been a wonderful journey, you know, going to the House of Commons in the UK and going, walking to their dining room past all the statues of the previous prime ministers mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and then um, sitting next to some of the politicians there and uh, and then being awarded the uh, trophy of best sweet wine uh, in the world in in, um, in 1984 by Madame Adette Paul Roger was wonderful and I always, always joke about the fact that I've, I've shook, uh, I, I, I shook the hand of Madame, Madame Adette Paul Roger because her hand would have been so weird and wonderful places, particularly considering that her, her um, um, she was the mistress of uh, Winston Churchill. So that connection, oh. you know, yeah, yeah, really interesting connection. <laughs> That's part of the reason why he was a great fan of uh, Paul Roger, you know, the champagne. Mm, it's a very, very good champagne. But yeah, what, what, what a rush! I mean, what a uh, the exhilaration must have been pretty extreme. Well, it was. It's you know, and it, it became um, in, in the time it was, it was, it was, it was like a, a dream in some ways. You know, all the success and that was piling on, and um, we did start making some changes from the early days. We couldn't call it. Um, we didn't call it number one in the early days. We called it Saturns, and then. With the bilateral trade agreement with the European Union, we had to delete the reference to Saturn. So we did that in uh, 1990, and so from 1990, the, the 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 name actually changed to number one. 
we did make some small changes. We did lighten off the style because, you know, we felt that was probably a bit too a bit too big. We started using fully imported French oak barriques to mature the wine in. Mm. Um, you know, we just weren't happy with the with the uh, barrels that were being cooped in Australia at that stage. Because the thing about those, number one, it's so sweet that um, coarse grain barrels, which may be wonderful for uptake of flavour into the wine, um, they leaked like sieves. So we specifically had to go to a very tightly grained uh, French oak uh, to be able to store the noble uh, noble one in because otherwise you had these you know these wines these stacks with all these pools of um, wines of underneath the stacks leaking so you know that's sort of fundamentally made a big change in terms of what sort of oak we were using um, very very tightly grained oak as a result and um, you know basically then it's been a series of um, you know small steps you know fine tuning of the style. Yeah, for sure. Guys, how, how much are you producing now? Well, that depends on the on the year, and uh, the, the certainly noble 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 one itself. You know, probably looking around the two thousand cases annually, so it's not big volumes. Um, it really depends on the on the seasons. Two seasons we didn't make noble one were eighty nine and two thousand twelve, which were very wet years. Mm. Because noble one, uh, the, the Petrides scenario under very those conditions. What we find is the French talk about sort of the brown rot, which is you now the undesirable version of uh, Petrides scenario, noble rot. And that's when the grapes just turn brown and basically vinegary and stink and, you know, they're not suitable for winemaking, um, as opposed to the noble rot, which is where the grapes slowly shrivel, concentrate all the sugars, and the sh- uh, chemistry of the grapes actually um, actually uh, do changes do changes as as well. Um, yeah, so I just lost my train of thought. What, were, what was I just talking about? Oh, just before. Uh, just uh, before the total. Oh, yeah. I, I was asking about the uh, the amount that you, were, you you had produced, and then oh, you mentioned that there were the yeah. two vintages that you didn't produce because yeah. of the rain. Right, yeah, so, so 2012 was a very wet year. That's when we had flooding around the region um, because of uh, we caught up in this trough where it's rained for seven days, and uh, we we uh, were hit with 300 millimetres of water in that week, and, oh. and the whole area was oh, just wow. bloody yeah, so that year we didn't make it. Um, and basically what happens and what we find is the grape conditions are actually perfect, but because Botrytis loves it so much, it, it 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 really produces an enormous amount, converts an enormous amount of glucose to gluconic acid. So we can get up to over 20 grams per litre of a of acidity in uh, in the wines, and we certainly tried that in 89, similar sort of year, very wet year. Um, you know, even though the flavours were okay, but the acid levels went to the roof, and we just the wine was not was not um, saleable as as such. So we we just had to blend those wines away. But and the same thing happened in 2012. 2012 a bit different. Couldn't actually get on the vineyard because the whole area was under flood. Yeah, um, so very difficult. But you know, what we find is one in three years is really ideal conditions for noble rot. You know, mm-hmm. the other one in three is probably uh, maybe a bit on the wet side. And we get other molds like aspergillus, black sooty molds growing, which quite interesting. They sort of, you know, our view is they probably produce the marzipan flavors that you see in the in the French wines. It's due yes. to other characteristics, not the noble rot. You know, the noble rot can, is, tends to be very clean. So 
those marzipan flavours are very much a result of other other moulds. And, and then the other three years, sometimes we've struggled if it's been a very dry year. But what we find is normally we can get we can get the right conditions in if we let the grapes hang late enough. Uh, we've had to lay, in some cases, go as late, to, as, late as June trying to get Petrias in the grapes, um, which is you know, before we get the ideal conditions. So it's really been a, you know, a test of wills. It's, and that was, you know, it's a mindset. It, it really is quite interesting. It, had we have not said, look, now we're just going to leave these grapes no matter what and just see what happens. Now, yeah. that was a that was the fundamental mindset change for us to be able to take that leap leap and just um, uh, understand what was happening and you know that's that's what certainly helped revolutionize the um, you know the the winemaking in the in the riverina and you know the great thing about number one it's got to remember that was the catalyst for then our moves into the Yarra Valley which then we moved into the King Valley and playing you know with all its Italian varieties they're now planted in the King Valley you know, mm-hmm. again a very large Italian community you know this background ex tobacco growers and and then we we from there we we uh, um, acquired a, a vineyard in the Heathcote region. Uh, we bought in the Hunter Valley, um, but that's more of a, you know, a, a profile thing rather than actually commercial winemaking. We don't sort of make make any wine per se at the Hunter Valley site. And and then recently we bought into Rutherglen. So you know it's like the full circle. It's early days. Rutherglen boys moved into in the history of the wine. She moved into Riverina. Now you know so the Riverina is moving into Rutherglen, and it's a wonderful area. It's the history of Rutherglen. I've always loved the area, the history of it, the gold. You know the being the, the gold rush and uh, you know mm-hmm. it's it's you know, it's just fascinating part of Australian history and it's a wonderful region lovely people lovely region love it love it intensely yeah well you know so Riverina is an area that we don't speak about a lot so I, I would love you to give um some suggestions as to uh well for one what's the best way to actually travel there if you were coming from interstate um, well, depends. You know, it's, it's it's a bit awkward, and that's one of the reasons why you know the you know, Griffith region is sort of tends to be off the map. It's it's uh, you know it's it's quite a drive from Sydney. It's well serviced with air air flights now, which is great. It's actually close to Melbourne, so you know normally if I'm heading if I'm going to Sydney, I'll fly to Sydney. I'm going to Melbourne. I'll drive to Melbourne. You know, it's about a five and a half hour drive. And now with Rutherglen and Heathcote, you know, I've got I've got stop off points now to break up the trip, which is quite you know, which is quite quite good. Um, yeah, so you know, probably um, a leisurely drive and maybe coming up through Rutherglen and then continuing up to the uh, to the Riverina Griffith because it's a very large Italian population. Great hospitality, great food because everyone's competing against what Mama. That's, yeah, uh, that's. That's right. So, 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 yeah, food is absolutely massive there, of course. Um, so, uh, well, on the food, just when it comes to Noble One, I think most people do, you know, they, they associate the best pairing with a cheese platter or, you know, some some delicious desserts. But uh, you do mention that it actually works very well as well with savoury dishes like Peking duck and sautéed scallops, things that I don't think people would have actually thought of. Yeah, it can can be. You know, depends on how you're having it. It's and, and it's certainly blue cheeses. The cheese match blue cheese is just amazing. How how it can you know works um, works so well with blue cheeses. Um, um, but I suppose my you know it depends if you're having it as an end of the meal as a dessert. I always think the best way to have it's just a fruitly uh, freshly cut fruit. You know, um, you know it's, it's just I think it's just that, that simplicity. 
in mm. the in, in in the in the fruit salad with the with the because the problem with number one it's such a powerful wine in its own right that you know and you that some most a lot some of these desserts they can sort of overwhelm with picking duck you know bit of sweetness but you know certainly the savouriness of some dishes do work very well with it. Uh, my preferred option is probably just a, uh, a simple fruit pat, you know, platter with you know, freshly cut you know, uh, fruits, you know, pears, apples, um, uh, maybe even some you know, pineapple, um, maybe some oranges, you know, just a little mixture of fruits to go with it. But, yeah, those clean, uh, they, you know, just something clean the palate and probably, you know, um, pear or apple, you know, probably maybe the best combination. Or you can have those probably even with some blue cheese. Now, that would be a real will, mm-hmm. will up mix of uh, the mixture of fruits with uh, those those fruits with uh, with blue cheese. Look, sometimes it's a simple thing. Get some good cheese, especially blue cheese. Get some simple fruits. It's perfect for after the meal. Pair that and some good music and, and you're set for a gorgeous evening in. So I'm thinking yeah. maybe, you know, Frank Sinatra sort of sit-down music because I, I believe you are a Sinatra fan. Well, not so much Sinatra, but I had to laugh because I, you know, I always laugh about my father because that he's, uh, when we at his funeral we played it. Now I did it my way, which... <laughs> Which literally does uh, um, some uh, summarise my 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 father in his you know, what he did. He was very unique, and uh, and, and I've got no doubts doubt it's genetic because obviously some of his characteristics I found which were very annoying. Um, I've suddenly realised as I got older that um, now I've got them as well. <laughs> <And my> son, <laughs> Sometimes you just can't beat it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the role of genetics is fantastic. You know, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. I think it's cool that you can actually sum up your uh, your family in, in, a, in a very fabulous, famous song. There we go. So, look, on that, I think we might actually, well, we, I think we should probably play a, play, play a good song. Um, so I'll get Dennis to set that up. But, look, Darren, thank you so much uh, for having you on. That has been, I, I knew the story would be great, but it was actually even better. And being able to hear it from the horse's mouth is sensational. So I, um, I do hope I get to meet you you at some point one day but uh, you, you 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 know you traverse around a lot so we'll um we'll have to see what happens but uh look i hope that 2022 maybe, proves to be brilliant yeah maybe maybe at one of our other winery sites so yeah probably just, easier do, do you get to the hunter valley one often i know it's more there as profile but uh i do yeah. you put an appearance um, well, occasionally it's it's you know because it's 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 by it's it's not a in the scheme of things it's a, no, by far a smallest asset. So even though I love the hunter as well, and I do they do make some of these world class uh, salmons and and uh, shirazes, but yeah, so I don't get up there as often as I should. But uh, but then again, I could say the same about all the other regions that we're you know, we've got uh, holdings in as well. Oh, look, you know, it's it's time. It's, it's the only thing that keeps us from doing absolutely everything. Well, look, Darren, thank you so much. I do hope you guys have a fantastic year. I can't wait to go and grab myself a bottle of a noble one because I haven't actually had it for a few years. And um, I hope you have a sensational Sunday and uh, I'll talk to you again later on this year for sure. Yeah, thanks, Jill. Much appreciated. Take care. Bye. Bye.